This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. A program for and about America's 78 million baby boomers. Here's your host, Freddie Bell. Hi, everyone. This is New Beginnings. I am Freddie Bell. Glad you're with us today. And coming up on the show, many of our favorite partners, including Leibel Sturmbach is here, Joe McKenzie, and friends from AARP Minnesota. All this plus the words to the wise on New Beginnings. And our program is underway right now. Please welcome Dr. Shakina Fashaw Walters. She is a Master of Public Health and a Master of Science in Public Health. She's also working to improve the health outcomes for the general public. She's published more than a dozen pieces on public health, and Dr. Fashaw Walters focuses on providing quality care. She says this means providing high-quality care for citizens, and she does a lot. And I'm wondering, what role do policymakers have in protecting our health, Doctor? So I really ascribe to this idea of health and all policies, that all policy that we create from transportation policies to housing policies to um, food policies, they all relate back to our health um, and the quality of health care that we receive. The idea would be to understand sort of the underlying mechanisms of a policy. If a policy, so as a health services researcher, I focus on how providers and doctors respond to certain policies. So I hope that that sort of makes sense. But I think more broadly, when we're thinking about the policies that are important, there are policies such as requirements around training or requirements around insurance coverage, making sure we're covering folks that have pre-existing conditions or making sure that we're allowing insurers to pay for healthy foods and vegetables or pay for uh, different things that might be needed in the home to keep our older adults aging in place. Everyone, we're talking about health care, and uh, wonderfully, uh, we're talking with Dr. Shakina Bashaw-Walters. And finally, I'm just wondering, as we look to the future, what are your aspirations and maybe even your recommendations for building a more resilient health care system in the aftermath of COVID-19? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the biggest things for the future of our healthcare is for our health system to become more trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And that's really rooted in transparency. If we can get some more transparency around costs, around prices, if we could get transparency around diagnoses and uh, more folks that actually care and serve our community, I think that'll really transform the healthcare. That'll also transform our response as a community to healthcare providers when they're providing advice in the next pandemic, because the next one will surely come at some point. Are you optimistic? I am optimistic um, some days and other days, not so much. So it really depends on when we're talking about it. First thing in the morning, I'm definitely going to say that I'm optimistic (laughs) because I'm feeling excited about the day. But yeah, there are a lot of researchers working on this. There are a lot of health systems transforming the way that they're providing care across insurance companies and healthcare providers. And so there are more folks that are tapping into this and really working to understand and do 
do better. And so I am optimistic that we will start to push the needle. And as more folks start to pursue careers in health and healthcare and in research and in policy, um, I think that's when we'll really start to see change as the next generation comes along. So I'm really hopeful for that. How can we find you on social media and how can the community play a part? Yeah, absolutely. So I can be found at SF Walters PhD. Um, on Twitter, I am simply Dr. She on Instagram as well, where I talk about some of these things. Um, and if you are interested in any of the studies that we might have ongoing at the U, feel free to reach out to me at safw at umn.edu, and I'm happy to engage. Thank you, Dr. Shakina, for being with us this morning. Have a great one. You too. I'm Freddie Bell, and we'll be right back. You are listening to New Beginnings. I'm Freddie Bell, and happy weekend, everybody. I'm so glad that you're with us. And right now, we want to help our baby boomers, and that's what our show is all about. And to help us in the career segment of our program is Mr. Joe McKenzie. He is a co-host on New Beginnings. We focus on careers, and the name of his company is Ripple Connects, and Ripple Connects helps to turn candidates into contenders. Welcome, Joe McKenzie. Thank you, Freddie Bell. How are you today? Unbelievable. How do you turn candidates into contenders? We turn candidates into contenders by giving them the insights, the skills, the techniques to find good jobs for themselves. And that specific technique is asking good questions in an interview. I didn't say answer good questions in an interview. I said ask good, compelling questions at the beginning of an interview. Mm-hmm. That's a technique that Ripple Connects clients, when we turn them into contenders, boy, they start talking about what day one of year two looks like. They start talking about how am I going to be measured for success after year one. That's just one technique that we help our clients turn into contenders. We turn our our clients into contenders by looking in the hidden job market so we can find those unadvertised opportunities to thrive. So we, we have those bench of advocates that uncover and really alert to us to opportunities where we can thrive. Those are just two examples of how we do that, Freddie. How can our audience reach you, Joe McKenzie? Two ways. RippleConnects.com is my website. Gives anybody a good opportunity to see how I've helped impacted people in their careers, or they can call me directly at 763-438-1621. And Freddie, you know what? I return everybody's calls because it's the right thing to do. And as you turn those candidates into contenders, let's discuss how organizations are competing today yes. to find yes. that missing piece in regards yes. to new employees yes. to help their yes. organizations drive success. How does that take place? We live in a competitive environment. The Twin Cities is very competitive. Look at all the look at all the corporate headquarters. Look at all the people companies that are doing worldwide business activity. We need those organizations need the best. And they're looking a lot of times for that missing piece. You know, maybe it's that customer service that department that's just not not excelling where they need to be. Maybe it's the accounting department sales um, the, the process or IT, those are the missing pieces that organizations are looking for. But unfortunately, a lot of us don't think that we're the missing piece, but we are. Freddie, you've been a part of organizations that you've driven success, agreed? That's right. That's right. We were who they were looking for, correct? That is right. That is right. So absolutely, you know, those organizations are looking for those pieces. They want to win that Super Bowl in the corporate world. 
four or five years ago when the Denver Broncos went out and got Peyton Manning in his later 30s with, with a bad neck, why did they go out and get Peyton Manning? He was the best, and they, I believe they thought that he could give them the best opportunity to win. Absolutely. And what, what happened when they, when they brought him on? What, what was the outcome? Uh, I think it was a Super Bowl championship. There you go. So he was the missing piece that they needed. They had a great defense, but they needed someone to guide that offense. Mm-hmm. And when we start thinking about ourselves as that missing piece and in our own acumen and our own experience, especially the baby boomers, we bring so much insight. We bring so much context of, of, of where, this, uh, where an industry's been, what's worked, what hasn't worked. Boy, Peyton Manning would walk up to the line and know exactly before he held Omaha what he was going to do, right? That's he right. looked across the line because he knew it was going to happen. As baby boomers and Gen Xers, we can see a lot of things that are happening. We can dodge. We can avoid. We can see opportunity to bring an organization forward because we've been there. And that's the missing piece a lot of organizations are looking for, that savvy, that, that, that veteran experience, to use a football term, that's going to guide that organization to success. How do you help your clients to understand and have that confidence and know that they are the missing piece for an, or- for an organization? That is a great question, and that's one of the things that we do work with our clients and We drill down on their accomplishments. As Minnesotans, we don't like to talk about ourselves. We just say, well, I was doing my job. Boy, but when we start talking about what they accomplished, how many customers they supported, how, how they improved this process or how they improved the bottom line, and we draw that out as a Ripple Connects team, they start to realize what they have accomplished. And that's that confidence piece that now they shop that those accomplishments and they start seeking out organizations that need that. I know I worked with someone that was with a company for well over 20 years and they worked with a fortune 500 company. And, and we talked about when they first started working with them, they were at about 5 million in sales a year. When this person was done working with them five, six years later, they were doing $10 million annually in sales. And this person was supporting and making sure all, Everything was going for it in a sales capacity. Think about that, Freddie. Is that not an accomplishment that that next organization who wants to be a competitor and to succeed is looking for? I would say, yes, that's a major accomplishment. That happens every day in the Twin Cities. When we help our clients to realize the impact they've had, yes, many times they were a part of a bigger team, but still, you think about that individual and how they brought it all together, how they were there for it, how they drove that success, how they watched the, the, the you know, the, the small details to make sure that things happened, the accounting, the, in this case, it was, you know, the sales volume. That was the missing piece for this person's new organization. So that's what you mean when you're talking about uh, d- uncovering your transferable skills. So you may have been a really great success where you were or where you're transitioning from, but can be an even bigger success to where you might wind up. Absolutely. That, that next organization may need you more than you can ever imagine. I know personally, when I entered the nonprofit, my selling skills allowed a nonprofit in St. Paul to grow their employment partners. I tripled it in about a little over two years. Wow. They were hiring people full-time with benefits. They, they never even imagined that they'd get to, get to that point. I wanted to know where they wanted to go, and that was just an arbitrary number. 
I went out and used the same sales process I used in the office equipment industry to drive their success. And today, this organization, I'm no longer with them, but that employment service program still has those employment partners I brought in. So I was that missing piece for that, that department. Wow. And I realized how much impact I have because I know a lot of people that are employed today because of my, my business development activity. We're talking about uh, understanding how you can be an organization's missing piece for success. So as we look at this, how does someone wanting to make that job change, Joe, learn about opportunities that they can put themselves into to be that missing piece? It's very difficult to read job descriptions all day long and try to figure out what that organization needs. You can get clues from that. They will give you clues and you're looking for, you know, what, what area of the company they're looking for. But sometimes it's better to try to figure out from internally or someone that knows of that competitor, that industry, that's going to give you that insight. You know, this, this company is losing clients. They cannot retain clients because they don't have a a robust customer service um, platform to work from. And then when you bring that all together, and if you, if you're in that space, if you worked in that space, now you know why that organization needs you because you're that missing piece. So it's it's a dual. Job descriptions are tough to find those 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 clues, but you can find some of them. But really, it's talking to others in that industry and why is this company struggling? Why why are they going out to hire this person? And that's probably your best plan is to to um, really set yourself up by success by getting the word out on what you're looking to do and start asking good questions of the people you know. That's interesting. It was very apparent that the De- yeah, the Denver Broncos needed a quarterback. Right. It's not always apparent that company ABC is looking for a customer service manager, or a sales manager, an IT manager. That takes some time. You're going to have to use LinkedIn. You're going to have to use your connections. You're going to have to have conversations. Everybody, we're talking with Joe McKenzie. We're just about out of time, Joe, but what are some actionable steps, maybe one or two, that someone can take right now this weekend to to bring about or to begin to learn about and uncover those new opportunities to drive success in an organization and to be that missing piece? Well, first of all, realize that your successes can translate to other companies. It's, it's Yes, you were doing your job. That's what you were getting paid to do. But start to realize, start to reflect upon the impact that you had and quantify your accomplishments, much like the example I gave in this program about that person who drove sales with the Fortune 500 company from $5 million to $10 million. And then start realizing those conversations are with others in your network in that industry are going to help you get some clarity. Job descriptions are tough to figure out what they need, but they will give you clues. All right, Joe, we got to leave it right there. And you do some fine work at Ripple Connects, I can tell. Yes, we do. We turn candidates into contenders. You're listening to New Beginnings, New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. Thanks for listening and here are today's words to the wise. Let our hearts sing. It's a beautiful call to share joy, love, and harmony with others. When we collectively embrace happiness, empathy, and togetherness, our hearts can sing in unison, creating a symphony of positivity and unity. This phrase encourages connection, compassion, and the celebration of life's beauty. It reminds us that by joining together with others, we can amplify our own joy and make the world a brighter, more harmonious place. So let's open our hearts, share our love, and allow our collective song to resonate with the beauty of life. Today's words to the wise, let our hearts sing. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit me online at freddiebell.com. 
And this is New Beginnings. And now, our supporting partner, AARP in the Twin Cities. Hi again, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and thank you for joining us this weekend. And it's our pleasure now to welcome Kathy McClear, AARP Minnesota State Director. We're here to talk about Brain Health and Dementia Conference. And uh, where is it happening, and how is AARP playing a part? Yeah, well, thanks, Freddie. This is such an important issue. And I think I should start by just saying um, the Minnesota Department of Health estimates that by 2025, 21% of Minnesotans' 65-plus population will be living with dementia or Alzheimer's. Oh, my. And that's due to our rapidly aging. Yeah, that's due to our rapidly aging population. So, you know, we just feel it's really important to be providing some tools for uh, those who are living with dementia or Alzheimer's, uh, as well as their care partners, uh, to help them live well as they experience that. And so that's why we're um, teaming up with the Mayo Clinic, the Alzheimer's Association for this brain uh, conference on brain health and dementia. Um, and it will be happening at the Mayo Civic Center in Rochester, but we're also offering it live streamed. Uh, so that folks can join virtually if they need to. And that's on November 4th. So is a live stream that you're doing, is that uh, at any cost? Or I know there's a cost for the conference, but uh, what about the live stream itself? Yes, there is a cost uh, for in-person attendance, $85 in person. Or uh, if you're going to join online, it is $50 um, and we feel that this will just be a tremendous value, you know, particularly to those care partners um, and caregivers to really help them find some practical approaches uh, to overcoming some of those day-to-day challenges in caregiving. Because when you're a caregiver of someone with dementia or Alzheimer's, it is a 24-7 job. And uh, some of those those practical uh, tips and, and helps are, are just so important. I'm told that this year's theme is Paths to Emotional Wellness. Uh, what does that really mean to you? Yeah, again, finding ways to help people living with Alzheimer's or dementia um, live well with the disease and have the best quality of life as they can. But also for those who are caring for those individuals, really um, giving them strategies for managing their own personal wellness as they act as caregivers, but then also responding with uh, compassion and making sure that you're providing culturally informed approaches as you are uh, providing that care to someone who's who's living with dementia. It seems really interesting that this conference, and we're talking about the Brain Health and Dementia Conference happening in Rochester, Minnesota, the first uh, weekend in November. And uh, it's just interesting that uh, this conference will provide a community for those people who are caregivers, the healthcare providers all together in one setting. That seems to me to be really unique. It is. When you are caring for someone with dementia or Alzheimer's, it's so important to help connect with others who might be having that shared experience that you're uh, that you're going through, um, so that you can, you know, have that shared experience, but then also share uh, tips and best practices and things that might have worked for you. And so this really is about creating that community uh, to give people resources and information that they can really lean on as they go through that journey. I was just reading a statement here, and this really sums it up well. It says, this conference strikes a crucial balance, delivering valuable and timely information while capturing people's personal strengths and the capacity to live well. And tell us the place one more time. Join us on November 4th and need more information about the Mayo Clinic, Alzheimer's Association, and AARP 2023 Conference on Brain Health and Dementia. You can find that at aarp.org forward slash mn. 
She's Kathy McClear, the state director for AARP Minnesota, and this is New Beginnings. Thank you for listening to our show this weekend, and it's Cancer Awareness Month. And here are five interesting facts about cancer. The word cancer comes from the Latin for crab, just like the zodiac sign. Cancer was first described by the ancient Egyptians. Number three, there are more skin cancer cases due to indoor tanning than lung cancer cases due to smoking. And finally, more than half of all cancers are preventable. Five things you may not have known about cancer as we celebrate not just a national day, but Cancer Awareness Month. I'm Freddie Bell, and we've got more on the way. And today is National Horror Movie Day. If you love a good fright, today is a perfect day to promote the beauty and the cathartic thrills of being scared by great horror movies. Halloween is in the air, bringing together fans of witches, ghouls, zombies, monsters, spiders, and pumpkins. In fact, Halloween is a time when an abundance of horror movies are available for viewing in theaters and on streaming apps. Here are the top five horror movies of all time. The Exorcist in 1973, Halloween in 1978, The Shining in 1980, a movie based on Stephen King's novel, The Shining, The Conjuring in 2013, and Hereditary in 2018, a psychological horror flick that enters the theme of a family trauma and the supernatural. It's National Horror Movie Day, and we'll be right back with more. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us. This is a news-oriented broadcast, and all information is educational in nature is not intended to be legal, securities, tax, or insurance advice. Please consult with the appropriate professional before acting on information heard during the broadcast. You're listening to New Beginnings. New Beginnings with Freddie Bell. War in the Middle East. What it means for your retirement. Join us as we talk about the financial implications. Hi, everyone. I'm Freddie Bell, and now it's time to talk finance with Label Sternbach, Amazon's best-selling author of Living with Financial Anxiety and also author of the book Authenticity. On this episode, we're going to be talking about Yes, the war in the Middle East and the financial implications. Hello, Label, and welcome back. Hey, how are you doing today? Unbelievable. And, uh, you know, I I go into this conversation with a little trepidation because I know that uh, war is on a lot of uh, individual minds, uh, not only here in America, but around the world. And I'm wondering, Label, if you can give our listeners a brief overview of how geopolitical events, especially wars, can impact and have an effect on global financial markets. Yeah, so so when we when we think about the markets, right, and we think about really, you know, financial security, it's all based on the premise that the future will look like the past, right? People people want to know that they can get up in the morning, they can, you know, go to their corner store or wherever it is they go and get their coffee, they can get their breakfast. They can, you know, they're going to get their paycheck on time and it's going to be roughly the same amount. And the cost for groceries is going to be roughly the same amount. And the more stability there is in the future, 
the more stability there is in the markets, the more predictable the outcomes are, and everything is good. War upsets all of that, right? Because war is this big, huge unknown um, that you throw a wrench into everything and you you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what factories are going to be left afterwards. You don't, you know that things are going to cost, you know, uh, material wise, right? Wars are very expensive. They're going to, you know, use a lot of gas to get there. They're going to use, you know, lots of bullets to fire at each other, lots of materials. I mean, like even just, you know, you, you think about like a rocket launcher or whatever, right? We're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars for a single, uh, a single, you know, thing that's fired. Um, and we're going to be firing, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of these things. And it's expensive. And so you've got the cost related to that. You have the manpower cost of just paying people to be there, right? Just physically soldiers need to move around and they need to get paid. Um, and so you have all these expenses. And then there's uncertainty to trade, right? I mean, we live in a globally connected marketplace where, you know, the the food that we eat comes, you know, from uh, across the world. We have the goods that we use, you know, uh, half of our stuff is made in China. And that means it needs to cross the entire world. And part of it, I mean, I saw a recent stat. I don't know the accuracy of it, but it said something of 12% of world trade goes through the Suez Canal, which is, you know, in the Middle East. It's right there at, you know, in the middle of all of this. Um, and it's something like 30% of the global oil supply goes through there. That's a large percentage of the things that we rely on for daily living that could be impacted by a war zone. It could be impacted because one country decides, hey, we're not going to let any traffic through. We want to get attention. We want to drive up costs. We want to whatever, right? Russia, right? And, you know, kind of you have the unintended consequences. Russia is fermenting war because they want oil prices to be higher because that's how they're funding their war in Ukraine mm -hmm. and how they're propping up their economy. And so all the, these things become interconnected and they really, they really affect things. So let, let's just, you know, taking it a step back and, you know, breaking it down into um, individual pieces. We have, you know, war means the cost of energy goes up, right? Because all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of new users for energy um, and the supply of energy, right? Every country starts hoarding their supplies of energy and who knows whether we're going to be able to get it out from wherever it is. So you got energy goes up, food, cost of food goes up, and then you have, the, you know, political and economic uncertainty of the future. And that causes you know, asset prices to uh, fluctuate wildly. You have, you know, companies suddenly become incapacitated because, you know, critical supply lines get, you know, stopped or whatnot. So lots of things, geopolitical stuff, war, mm -hmm. right? They really put a damper on our plans for the future and the economy and the market. Everyone, we're talking with Label Sternbach and our topic today is war in the Middle East. And that's a great overview for our conversation today. You know, the Middle East is a significant player in the global oil market. How do these kind of disruptions in the region impact oil prices and label what ripple effects can retirees expect in their portfolios, if any? So so let's let's start with, you know, just the Middle East. Right. And and let's talk about oil. Right. Because that's something we all understand. The things that it, oil impacts. Right. I saw. I saw right now we're anticipating in the United States that heating oil for homes is going to increase by 8%. And that was that was just, you know, um, I, I don't think that accounted for what's happening right now. 
Right? I think that was just accounting for what's happening in Ukraine. So who knows what, what it's actually going to be. Um, so that's an 8% increase in the cost of energy, of the cost to heat your home, right? Then you have all of these power plants. You have you have all, you know, every machine, every piece of plastic, all of these interconnected things that are relying on oil or oil-based products, right? And that, you know, the cost for that is going to increase. Then you have shipping times, right? Shipping times, the cost to ship goods from one place to another, again, based on oil, on the price of oil, cost of gasoline, right? When gas goes up, people travel less, which means people are taking trips less, tourism goes down, right? Tourism, a lot of places rely on tourism for their economy, for their for their revenue, so that's gonna decrease it. So when we talk about the impacts that war in the Middle East has, it really has this huge ripple effect. Um, it'll start with energy, but it's going to end with the cost of food going up, with the cost of housing going up, with the cost of, you know, loans going up. Everything is going to be affected by this. And so that's something that as retirees, we really need to be concerned about. The other thing that we need to keep in mind is that war is inflationary. That means that because we're spending all of this money, we're pumping all this money into fighting a war. And even if the United States does not get directly involved in a, in war. We still have costs related to the fact that there's war there because we just saw it sent two aircraft carrier groups out to the Middle East, right? And that's we're we're just making our presence known, right? We're not necessarily getting directly involved, but having carrier groups means they're of flying fi flights. That means they're you know buying supplies from the local economies to be able to feed themselves. They don't come with everything that they need which all of a sudden that's money that before was being spent at home is now being spent abroad. That's money that's being spent that wasn't being spent at all. Um, and so you've got a lot of expenses there. You have all the aid that's going to be given to all the different countries that we're going to give to either secure our interests or help with humanitarian issues. Um, so you've got a lot of, you know, kind of escalation and expenses that are involved not even getting involved in war. When you, once you get involved in war, I mean, we're talking about, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars that get spent very quickly. Um, and when you think about our economy, right, the Federal Reserve has been doing their damnedest to bring inflation down, right, and make less money in the system. And all of a sudden we have this war that's, you know, or potential for war that they know is going to skyrocket inflation. It's going to put a huge demand for more money in the system. And they, you know, uh, they're keeping an eye on that. It's part of the reasons why they said, well, we're not going to make any changes now because anything they do can be, you know, can can blow way out of proportion. And at the same time, we don't know what's going to happen with the price of oil. Right. We don't know what's going to happen with the price of goods. We don't know how this is going to affect labor. Right. People getting called up for reserve duty. Um, people, you know, uh, companies shifting where their employees are. All of those things uh, affect, you know, the labor market, and that can have more of an impact than anything the Federal Reserve has done. And so when we look at, you know, as retirees, we really need to keep a very close eye on, you know, what our expenses are, what our investments are, how much risk do we have to global instability, and how much protection do we have against inflation, because inflation can really skyrocket out of control. In if we're not positioned in a way to protect ourselves either from inflation or make sure that our money is growing faster than inflation, 
we can find ourselves on the wrong end of the spectrum when it comes to retirement security. So, Labo, I want to make sure I ask this, and I hope I'm asking it the right way. So are you suggesting, and I know one size doesn't fit all, but are you suggesting that retirees stand pat in light of the ongoing conflicts, or should they start to reevaluate their asset allocations to mitigate potential risk? I think, I think definitely, if you haven't already, if the last 18 months haven't ca- hasn't caused you to reevaluate your asset allocation, then now is definitely a great time to do it. Um, we have so many headwinds for retirement. We have inflation, which just seemed to be coming down be- before this, this outbreak in the Middle East. Um, but now we have this confrontation potentially with China, with Russia, with Iran. Um, these are going to be inflationary um, incidences. So we need to keep an eye on that. So I would reposition what is it going to do for the, you know, for the economy? The economy is probably going to grow. Um, the question is going to be how much and how is that going to impact the stock market? What I can tell you is that, again, things like food and bullets and, uh, you know, the material stuff is going to probably outperform things like high tech, right? Because, um, you know, nobody's investing in Facebook when you need missiles to defend our country, right? When Indeed. you need guns and bullets. Um, and those are the types of things that we need to keep on an eye on as investors, right? To make sure that our money is positioned in a way so that it doesn't get left behind, right? So yes, you 100% want to make sure to reevaluate how you're allocated, make sure that you have protections in place so that no matter what happens in the economy, no matter what happens in the market, that you are protected and that your needs are going to, uh, that your money is going to be there when you need it. So, Label, in the minute or so we have left, can you talk about the prolonged uh, conflict influence on the strength of our dollar or other major currencies and what implications that might have for us or the retirees, especially those considering uh, living abroad? Yeah. So so something that that, you know, we've been keeping an eye on and that this is really going to bring to life is the fact that that there's been this kind of proxy war happening between Russia and China and the United States in terms of reserve currency and the value of the dollar abroad, right? Russia needs, they need countries to not be so dependent on the U.S. dollar. They don't want to replace us as a reserve currency, but they do want more people using something that they can control so that they have more value in their economy, right? Because right now their economy is kind of disconnected from most of the world, Um so Russia and China are looking for the ability to create some stability at home with their currencies and with their economies and insulate themselves from, you know, the Western world putting on sanctions from them, cutting off, you know, aid and and, and economic trade routes. So they're looking to insulate themselves, which means because we are the biggest player in town, we are the biggest competition when it comes to that protection. That means naturally that the U.S. dollar is going to have to go down in value. What happens during war, right, is that people, just like the stock market, people make bets on what stocks and companies they think are going to do well. Same thing happens with currencies as allegiances shift, as people say, well, you know what, I'm going to value the countries that I think are going to come out ahead in this conflict. There are going to be countries that are going to be severely impacted no matter what happens, whether or not, you know, there's, you know, the, a cold war turns into a hot war. There's going to be countries that are going to be devastated economically. And 
when we talk about currencies and when we talk about the cost of living and we talk about, you know, making sure your dollar goes as far as possible, especially for people who are living abroad, those are major impacts. And you want to make sure, right, that the currencies that you're using are keeping up, you know, with your cost of living, right? So there's going to be some countries where cost of living is going to go down and some it's going to skyrocket. I mean, if you look at Lebanon before all of this, they were having astronomic inflation, so much so that Uber built into their app in Lebanon the ability for people to bid and say what they're willing to pay to to the drivers because inflation was so crazy and so out of control and so minute to minute that they couldn't set what the rates were because people were just rejecting rides because it wasn't enough money because of the inflation for that hour. Um, So it is definitely something that you know, as a citizen living abroad, you've got to keep an eye on. And bottom line is you need to have diversification and you need to make sure that your assets are growing and are protected from uh, enough of the volatility so that you can ride this out. Right. Because it, no matter what happens, right, there's going to be a tomorrow and we need to make sure that we have enough reserves when we get to that tomorrow to be able to enjoy it. Makes a lot of sense, Label. And that's all the time we have for this session. But We invite you to join us next week as we talk about how the 60-40 portfolio has had its worst year in decades and what investors should be doing about it. And this is New Beginnings. Just for fun this week and from the lighter side of my desk, Pentagon officials say they've received over 270 new reports of UFOs over an eight-month span this year. The Defense Department released a new report to Congress that says 274 new UFO sightings have been reported to the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, which leads the government's efforts to document and analyze UFO sightings. The Pentagon says the majority of the reports came from military military service members, and commercial airline pilots. And Travis Kelsey has some tips for Swifties looking to dress up as him for Halloween this year. The Kansas City Chiefs tight end told reporters on Friday that his mustache and 87 jersey will do the trick. He said he had the stash when he met Taylor, though it's slowly starting to disappear. Kelsey added a friendship bracelet might complete the look. He famously tried to give the pop star a friendship bracelet when he attended her heiress tour concert in Missouri back in July. And don't eat quickly. Japanese researchers found that people who ate quickly until full are three times more likely to be overweight. And guards in a Moldovan prison grew increasingly suspicious of a small gray and white cat they had seen repeatedly entering and exiting a small hole in a prison fence. When they caught the cat and inspected its collar, they found bags of drugs. Authorities were trying to find the trainer of the drug mule cat. And public service announcement, calories don't count when it's in the middle of the night and it's not today, but it's tomorrow. It was on the plate of someone else. Our mother or grandmother made the food. It includes whole grains or it's brownish. It's a free sample at the store. And when it benefits Girl Scouts or any other nonprofit, this was a public service announcement from the Freddie Bell Show. And can you guess, in a recent survey, a quarter of people said that if they were 25 hours in a day, they would use the extra hour for this. I'll tell you in just a second. A repentant robber in the U.K. sent his elderly victim a bouquet of flowers to apologize for frightening her. The 91-year-old woman received the flowers and a note after confronting the burglar in her home earlier in the morning. The card explained that the burglar thought the property was empty and apologized for breaking in. 
And here are four things you probably didn't know yesterday. It's time to upgrade our IQs. Number one, the crocodile does not chew its food but swallows it whole. The most densely populated state in the United States is New Jersey. A survey found that nearly 90% of women wear shoes that are too narrow. And finally, the average weight of cremated remains of an adult is between four and six pounds. And what would most people do if they had one extra hour in a day? They would exercise. From the lighter side of my desk this week, I'm Freddie Bell, and now this. Scissors, clippers, styling and profiling. Information online at thestandardmn.net in Oakdale, Minnesota. Thank you for listening to New Beginnings. You can stay up to date with this show. All you have to do is go to Google or to Apple and download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app. Yes, download the Freddie Bell Radio Shows app and you'll be up to date on everything concerning this show and anything related to Freddie Bell. More to come. Stay with us. As New Beginnings continues, we now take you to the spirituality portion of our program, where we introduce the senior minister of Unity South Twin Cities, the Reverend James Stacy. We now join Reverend Stacy with a program already in progress. Charles Fillmore, our co-founder of Unity, said, that is your divine name. I, or I am. No one can speak that. I can never say I, meaning Carol Moen. Only Carol can speak that divine name referring to herself and her creator. But none of the rest of of us can. You have no other name in your life, no other description, no other title that is as special as I. Or, I am. It is essential. Well, we'll leave this little debate for now. But just remember the importance of that single letter, that little iota, that little detail in your life. A greatly expanded perspective on this term, I am, is Christ, the Christ of God, the individualization of the infinite as you, the spark of the eternal, everlasting nature within you as God's creation. In unity, it was taught by our founders and other teachers through the decades. A distinct meaning. When we speak of God as infinite and eternal source, the all of all. And then when we speak of Christ, yes, expressed in the amazing human being we know as Jesus of Nazareth. But in pure truth, the Christ is the spark of the infinite individualized. Do you get that idea? 
that of all there is, all there ever will be, all there can be, infinite source. There is a seed of that source in you, in you, in you. That's an idea that makes me want to say, wow, wow, think of it. Think of it. Do you ever feel disconnected as I do? Discouraged in my Jamesness? In my little me? Then it's time to recapture, rethink, refeel. This truth, this divine seed, spark, being, presence, the incarnation within each individual. Charles Fillmore said, we are each God's perfect idea of being. And he hooked that all together with hyphens. You are God's perfect idea of being as you. Eric Butterworth, the beloved unity teacher in New York, with his many beloved works, books, even Oprah Winfrey said that turned her life around. His book, Discover the Power Within You. It helped her, helped her grasp before her career blossom, this idea, this truth, this power that has incarnated in your very being. Wow, Sharon, wow. So this Christ we can use in our prayer time. We've often heard in Christian teaching to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. To pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus even referred to that in the Gospels. So far, you have not prayed in my name. But when you do, you will have power. You will have answers. You will have blessings. So I grew up in the church thinking, well, as long as I remembered to slap on the end of my prayer request the name Jesus Christ, boy, that really sealed it. That did it. But now I begin to wonder, I don't think that's quite what that mysterious teaching, what Jesus called us to do. To pray in the name, if you prefer, pray in the name of God, of all that there is. But it's to pray in the consciousness, the perspective of that truth. So to pray in the name of Jesus Christ is to pray in that Christ consciousness, that great awakening. Now, don't be hesitant to pray in that nature. 
in that Christ consciousness saying, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not worthy to pray. I can't even conceive of Christ consciousness. But the great missionary, the great developer, initiator of Christianity throughout the Mediterranean world was Paul. And he had many formulas, many ways of saying, catch this idea of the Christ mind. Let the same mind be in you that is in Jesus Christ. Let the same mind be in you. You don't have to say, I'm not good enough yet. That's throwing it all to the future again. You capture that perspective. Well, let me get to my theme. The Christ within. Do you understand that within as a preposition, a place, a location. Ah, yes, the Christ within me. Within my mind, within my heart, the essence of my being. Yes, that is true. But the Christ being infinite is within all. So that word within can be a preposition a locator, you know, where something is located? Well, it's in Tim. You just heard a message coming from the Reverend James Stacy, the Senior Minister of Unity South in the Twin Cities. More information is found at their website at unitysouth.org. And it happened this week in 1950, silent film actor Al Jolson died at the age of 64. In 1973, President Richard Nixon agreed to turn over White House tape recordings to Watergate judge John Sirica. In 1978, Meeker Mansion, the home of where Neil Young lived while recording albums like Zuma in the mid-70s, burned to the ground in an arson fire. In 1983, over 230 U.S. Marines stationed in Lebanon were killed when a suicide truck bomber crashed into the U.S. compound at Beirut International Airport. In 1991, despite the charges of sexual harassment brought against Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas was sworn in as the nation's 106th Supreme Court Justice. In 1995, former Selena fan club president Yolanda Saldivar was convicted of murdering the Tejano music star outside of a Texas motel on March 31, 1995. And in 2001, Apple released the very first version of the iPod. It happened this week, and I'm Freddie Bell. That's our show, and thanks to our special guests for stopping by and sharing information that we hope can change lives. If you missed any of today's show, you can subscribe to our podcast or just Google Freddie Bell or stop by my website of the same name. Thanks for listening, and remember that each day is a chance for a new beginning. See you next week.